you have your Bible, turn with me please to 1 Peter chapter 5. You know, I have to say that uh, this is a difficult time that we're living in, isn't it? Would you agree? I'll tell you what, I've never seen more divisiveness or vitriol in my lifetime. And I'm not not very old. I'm still a very young man. And uh, uh, But but any, anyhow, let me say that sometimes the tendency is to, to kind of preach about what's going on in the world and, and always trying to add perspective to it from the Word of God. There's nothing wrong, per se, with doing that. But do you know what we really need? We need the truth of the Word of God. Because it's the truth of the Word of God that will prevent us from being carried about with every wind of doctrine and slight of men. It will firmly root and establish us in the truth. Now, how many of you are aware that you can't believe everything you read on the internet? How many of you know that? (laughs) I'm glad you know that. I'm glad to know that you're not so gullible. And how many of you know that you can't have to believe everything you hear on the news? Uh, some of you saw this week that the Washington Post reported something that was absolutely, entirely, and utterly not true, and they had to print a retraction. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible is always true. You can trust it always. And so, in uncertain times, we're going to give a certain word from the book that's always true. Amen? And so, that's really what we need. So, I've been looking at all of the, the rioting, rioting and looting that's going on and, and all that is behind all that. I've been looking at COVID-19 and, and all the uncertainty that exists in the world. And I, I've come up with my theme verse for this week, and it's Micah 6, 8. And this, this is for real. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Let me say that again. He has shown the old man what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly. That means I'm going to treat everybody fairly and with courtesy as those for whom Jesus died and are created in the image of God. And to love mercy. I'm going to treat them with the kindness of God, the compassion and the mercy of the Lord, and walk humbly with my God. I'm going to be possessed of the Spirit of Jesus Christ so that others might see a reflection of the living Lord in me. And I'm going to tell you something. If you live that, you'll never have to apologize for the way you treat people. You'll never have to apologize for any positions you take or things you say if you determine to just personify the truth of those verses right there. It would change the world. It literally would change the world. And I think that that really there's a lot that's going on in the world today that people are trying to change. And really, more than we need political change or social change, we need a change of heart is what we need. And that's why we need to pray. And uh, I believe that more is accomplished in the prayer closet than in the, in the polling booth. And, uh, and, I, and I think that what happens in the prayer closet might have a bearing on what ultimately happens in that booth, but the truth is that Jesus is the answer. And so that's what I'm going to say about that. That's not my message, but that was pretty good, wasn't it? Okay, good. Amen. And by the way, I want to say something to you. 
I don't think you know anyone, and I know that I don't know anyone who thinks what happened to George Floyd was okay. Everybody I know thinks that was criminal, that those police officers deserve what punishment they get. And, and, and the fact is, every, every decent person I know hates what happened to George Floyd. They hate it. They despise it, right? So, listen, I, I'm just going to tell you this. We're going to continue winning and helping every person in our community that will listen. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in sight. Amen? And, and, and that's really what we've endeavored to do down through the years. And I'm telling you, it's, it's kind of been like the Rainbow Coalition around here. It's just, y'all come, we love you. And that's what I think the Lord would have it be. Verse number 1 in 1 Peter chapter 5, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, today please meet with us in Holy Spirit power. Thank you, Lord, for these dear folks that have assembled here today. Bless them for their faithfulness. And Lord, we claim the promise of Your Word Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, may you be magnified and glorified in these moments, we ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. This morning I want to bring you a message entitled, The Shepherd of Our Lives. The Shepherd of Our Lives. You know, as I do, that this first epistle of Peter was written to... Uh, Hebrew saints, those that had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and there were many in Jerusalem that were suffering that received this letter, as well as those that were scattered abroad who had once practiced the Hebrew tradition and religion and had now come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Peter is speaking, first of all, to the elders or the pastors of the churches and indicating that that he also was a pastor. And certainly we know that he fulfilled a pastoral role in Jerusalem, and God used him 
in a mighty way as a pillar of the church, being an apostle during the early church period. And so, he's writing to the saints at this time, and, and he's directing them uh, in a number of things. He's talking to the deacons of the church as well, as referenced by the term ye younger, as typically in those days, elder was the term ascribed to the pastor, those that were younger to the deacon, and then he addresses it, and so to also all of you be subject, it says. So this is an epistle and a passage that was addressed to everyone in the church. It began with the pastors because, listen, they were going to be the under-shepherds of God. But he was bringing them to mind of the reality that they were not the great shepherd. That they were but the under-shepherd shepherd serving under the leadership of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. The New Testament reveals to us that Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb, was also the shepherd. He's called the great shepherd. He's called the good shepherd. And here he's called the chief shepherd. And so, make no mistake about it that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And what we notice is in verse number 4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. This provides a context for everything that I will share with you today. And that is this, that the chief shepherd, the one who is leading us and guiding us, the one who is providing that which we have need of and giving us oversight and protection as vulnerable lambs, is coming again. He's coming again. And we see His appearing. And this is something that Peter the Apostle wanted them to bear in mind. To live your life in view of the fact that this one who is the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, is coming again. And we will be united with Him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The world thinks that we're nuts for believing that. How many of you know it? In fact, uh, years ago when Janet Reno was the Attorney General of our country, uh, and they were trying to identify domestic terrorist groups, one of the indicators of domestic terrorism was the belief in a rapture and that Jesus was coming again. And that was one of the things that the State Department put in writing as to how to defend a domestic terrorist organization. And so they think that only lunatics believe that Jesus is coming again. Well, you and I know that if that be the case, uh, that we plead guilty, right? Because we believe that Jesus is coming again. And that there are millions of people in this country that believe the same. But there are others that scoff at that truth. But listen, the question stands, how should we live if one day we will stand before a thrice holy God? That's a fair question, is it not? How should we live? Now I'm going to say that people are marching in the streets of our city by the thousands demanding justice. I don't know about you, but I, I understand wanting to be just and, and fair to all men. 
uh, just a couple of months ago, I stood on the steps of the Supreme Court building where they stand for equal justice under the law. And I prayed for our Supreme Court justices that it would be, even as the statues would indicate, blind justice administered even-handedly to everyone. Uh, I think there are those that uh, maybe at times don't always get a fair shake, and I think there needs to be some addressing of that, and there needs to be some appropriate change. But I'm going to tell you, as, as a citizen of heaven, okay, that I'm not pleading for justice. I'm pleading for mercy. Because I, I don't want the justice of God poured out upon me. I want the mercy of God poured out on me. Because if I got justice from God, and if you got justice from God, where would you be? Yeah, we, we would all go to a devil's hell. We need His mercy and His grace. Amen? And so look, when it comes to this matter, I, I, I need the justice of the Lord. Uh, not the justice, but the, but the mercy of the Lord and the grace of the Lord. And I'll tell you, at His appearing, those that are in Jesus Christ will understand that the justice of God was satisfied for them at Calvary. And so they have been forgiven, set free, and will enjoy the splendors of heaven. But for all of those who have rejected Jesus as their Savior, they will get their day in court, and they will receive their justice in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, where the worm dieth not, neither is the fire quenched. And my friends, I believe that we need to understand that in the light of His appearing the, of the chief shepherd, we find hope and comfort as believers because we have the hope of glory. And because He shall appear, we have the hope of reward and that there is something better than this life to look forward to. So Jesus is coming. So how should we live? Well, we see that Peter, in the light of his return, is calling people to consider their attitude. We notice, secondly, our attitudes. And here in verse 5, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with what? Humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Now, I've heard it said, and I know that you have as well, that it is your attitude, not your aptitude, that determines your altitude. You know, your outlook, your attitude, really determines a great deal, does it not? And so, Peter, of all people, is talking to the children of the Lord about having an attitude of humility, which is really personifying the life of Jesus, who said of Himself, I am meek and lowly in heart. He personified humility in His life. Now folks, I'm going to tell you that the Bible here uh, calls us to a life of humility that renounces pride and arrogancy. Now how many of you have read through the Gospels? You've read through the Gospels, okay? Now if you've read through the Gospels, you've noticed what I have, and that is that Peter was not always the guy that was modeling humility, was he? No, in fact, he was probably the guy that was more likely modeling selfish ambition and pride. 
standing up before the Lord went to the Garden of Gethsemane and trying to cast aspersions upon the other disciples and saying, listen, all these might forsake you, but listen, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll, I'll not only go into prison, but die for you, Lord. And he stood up and wanting to boast of all that he was going to do for Jesus only to hours later deny the Lord three times outside of the hall of Caiaphas when he couldn't even stand up to a little girl who said, I think you're one of those disciples, aren't you? The fact is, he was humbled through his failure. And I've discovered in my own life that if we refuse to humble ourselves, God has a way of arranging our humiliation. How many of you know that's true? <laughs> you know, uh, somebody sent me some uh, YouTube videos uh, this week in the email, and it was a video of bullies who got their comeuppance. <laughs> okay, how many of you like to see that? Some people that were bullying people, and it was on video, and the people that they were bullying, man, just put it to them, you know, and I'm like, yeah, get them, you know, and i tell you what, if we refuse to humble our hearts, the Lord has a way of humbling us, doesn't He? And And so, our attitudes are important. And when it says there in verse number 5, be clothed with humility, really what it's talking about there is putting on the garments of slavery. The garments of slavery. Now you say, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I've been set free. True. But Paul called himself the bond slave, did he not, of Jesus Christ. Literally, he willingly, freely, and lovingly chose to be a bond slave or servant the word is doulos in the Greek, which means a slave, for Jesus Christ. And as you study this out in greater depth, what it's calling folks to do is put on the robe of humility. And I thought often and hard about that. What does that mean? That means that I am not going to try to attract attention to me to make me famous. My job and your job is to make Jesus famous. It doesn't matter if people know me. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that neither is he that planteth or he that watereth anything, but it is God that giveth the increase. It's our job to make His name famous. And when we do that with a humble heart, the Lord bestows grace on that person. Amen? Because God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Uh, this morning I had my sister-in-law Ashley and some of her children here visiting, and they're going to stay with us for the week. And... That makes things interesting. We had uh, 17 people in our little commune, uh, commune over there uh, in Glendale uh, last night, and, uh, and that was a lot of fun. We threw TJ in the mix, and that always keeps things exciting. And, uh, but, uh, but Linda and Ashley's dad came to this country after the fall of Saigon. And uh, when he arrived here, they wanted to give him welfare, but he said, you know, uh, I didn't come here to our handout. This is the land of the free. I just want to have an opportunity to work and give back to the country that has given me so much. So he, he wouldn't sign up, even though the social or the caseworkers are giving him the paperwork saying, sign here. And he said, I, I cannot do that. So he worked two jobs his whole life to support his two daughters. Didn't know a word of English. He came from a Buddhist background. By God's grace through the years, they, their family was saved. And he converted to Christ, and, and they have a wonderful story. But when it came time for him to retire from the little electronics manufacturing 
plant that he worked in, um, he realized that his little pension from that plant and his Social Security was not going to be enough for him to really live a decent lifestyle here in the United States. So he determined that what he would do is he would sell his home and, and he would move back to, um, to Vietnam. And there, with what he received on Social Security, he could live comfortably and to go to the market and buy the, the vegetables that he needed to deal with his blood pressure and things like that. And that was much to the consternation of the girls. And, and uh, that was about the time that I met Linda. And, and in any case, he, he moved back there. And, and uh, when he got to Vietnam, he did something very interesting. In the first week, he wanted to make sure that he didn't invite any attention to himself because if the people in the little district where he lived humble place. He lived in a one-bedroom uh, flat in a, in a very humble neighborhood. If they thought he had means, they would constantly be trying to rob him because many of them were so poor. And so what he did was he went to a tailor in town. And he went to the tailor and he said, I want you to make me five changes of clothing and I want them all the same. So the tailor made him five shirts and they were all identical. And five pairs of slacks and they were all identical. So that every day when he went to the market and people saw him day after day, they thought, here is a poor, humble man. He only has one change of clothing. Okay. So he kept those hung up and cleaned and pressed. And every day he went to the market wearing the same clothing because he didn't want to attract any attention to himself but he wanted to wear the humble clothes of the people. And they received him as if he had never left Vietnam. They did not know, and they were none the worse for not knowing. And he was the better for them not knowing. He put on the garments of humility every day until he died. And God calls us to put on the garment of humility to live out the life of Jesus Christ. Though we know we are robed in the garments of Christ's righteousness, we're to live practically a humble life, a life, the life of Jesus. So we see our attitudes in light of His coming, and we notice uh, quickly our anxieties are addressed here, and we have them, don't we? There are people that are anxious about COVID-19, and they're anxious about the economy, and they're anxious about the rioting and looting in the streets, and they're anxious about the election, or whether or not we'll even be able to have an election, or whether people will allow the results of an election to stand, whether people will tell the truth, whether there will be fighting in the streets, and people are speculating and worrying about so many things, and yet the Bible in verse 7 says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And the, and, and the word care there means your anxious care, all of your anxieties. And I want you to know that Christ is calling us to lay our burdens at His feet, for He alone can bear those burdens and sustain you through them. The Bible says in Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. The Lord will never allow the righteous to be moved. And what we realize is that the one that will sustain our anxieties and will help to mollify our fears is the chief shepherd, the shepherd of our life. He's coming again. And in light of that, from then until now, we realize that He has appropriately dealt with our fears because that which underlines every anxiety that you have is the spirit of fear. 
If it's the worry about loneliness or the worry about health or the worry about finances or the worry about family or the worry about employment, whatever it is, the Lord understands and realizes that God has not given us the spirit of fear. And fear is the very thing that underlies all of our worries and cares. Jesus is the lover of your heart and the shepherd of your emotions. And the Bible says in Psalm 23, 3, He restoreth my soul. He's the very one that can heal the broken heart and the wounded and fractured emotions. He's the one that can take the pieces of your life and put them back together and make it into a work of rare and precious beauty. I want you to know that He desires for you to be free from the tyranny of fear and the anxieties that will hold you back in this life. He wants you to breathe free. But understand this, we notice not only that He addressed our anxieties and said, cast them upon me, but He reminds us of our adversary. So while we walk free, He calls us to be vigilant. And the Bible there says in verse number 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Understand this, my friends, that we have an enemy, and the enemy is who? It's the devil. It's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your nosy neighbor. It's not your mean boss. It's not uh, your sibling that's trying to get over on you. It is the devil. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And what that tells us is that there is no fleshly person who is my enemy. I have a spiritual enemy who wants to destroy my life, destroy my family, my kids, my grandkids, destroy our church, destroy our testimonies. The devil is a destroyer. Revelation 9-11 calls him a Apollyon, and the word Apollyon means destroyer. That's what he's all about. He wants to wreak havoc and destroy. He doesn't want to just mess with your kids and your grandkids. He wants to absolutely destroy their lives and to pull them down into the vortex and the cesspool of this world. I'm simply saying to you, we have an adversary that we need to look out for. But here's what I want to remind you of. This whole thing is in the context of Jesus is the shepherd and we're the sheep. We're the sheep. You know what? Sheep are vulnerable creatures. How many of you know that? You you know a little bit about sheep. Sheep are defenseless if they're alone and challenged by a lion. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be dinner for that lion. They're going to be dinner for the bear or the wolf. They're vulnerable apart from a shepherd. They need the shepherd to watch over them, to feed them, to guide them in the way that they should go, to be vigilant over them. And the chief shepherd does precisely that. He looks out for that straying wayward lamb. And we all know the the parable of the 99 sheep and the one sheep that was lost. And Jesus went out after that one who was vulnerable. And when we stray away from God and we get out of His Word, we are in a place of vulnerability and we need to come back to the shepherd's side and back into the fold of God because they're in His safety for the children of God. 
We have an adversary. He's the accuser in Revelation 12.10. And you know what? He not only will accuse you to God in the throne room of heaven, but every day he'll come and whisper in your ear. You call yourself a Christian? You've got to be kidding me. Well, I wonder what the people down at church would think if they saw you doing that. I, you call yourself a Christian and you're thinking, what? You call yourself a Christian and you said, what? You call yourself a Christian and you did what on social media? you got to be kidding me. And you know what? The devil wants to put you under the burden of guilt and under the tyranny of fear. And listen, there are people that come to church and they've got skeletons rattling around in their closet because they have a past and they're desperately afraid of someone finding out about it. But I, can I tell you something? The shepherd already knows about it and he loves you anyway and he wants to hold you in his arms and draw you close to himself. And I'm going to tell you, the adversary, the devil is the accuser, but praise the Lord, the shepherd is the lover and the forgiver. He's the forgiver. Amen. I'll tell you who I'd rather cozy up to. I'd rather the shepherd take me a little lamb up in his arms. Amen. How about you? We notice that, fifthly, we have afflictions, our afflictions. Between now and heaven, we're going to have them, aren't we? Yeah, we will. The Bible says in verse 8 again, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The devil is going to attack your belief system. We resist him in the faith. Do you know what he wants to lead you to believe? He, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you. Inevitably, he wants you to question the goodness of God. You know what? I find there are a lot of people that are troubled about things in life, but if you ask him, do you believe that God is able to effect a change? Do you believe that God is sovereign in this situation? You know what they'll tell me? Yes. They just don't think that God wants to exercise His power and goodness for them. You know what the devil's done? Undermined in their hearts the truth that God is good. He doesn't care if they think God is good to other people. He just doesn't want to believe that God is good to them. You know, I'm going to tell you this. God is good all the time. We've got to resist Him in the faith, in our belief system. You know that God doesn't have any favorite lambs. He loves them all the same. Doesn't He? Now, you, you have some, some mules, some donkeys. You might have a favorite. I don't know. But, you know, I think you probably feed them all. You know, you pen them all. You water them all. You, you provide sheltering, shelter to all of them. You, you, you love them. And, and, and I see you're proud of those animals, you know. And the fact is that, you know what, God loves His kids. He doesn't have any favorites. And He takes care of us all the same. Because He's holy. He's perfect. He loves every one of His kids perfectly. And through our afflictions, He calls us to come unto Him. All that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and He will give you rest. And He gives us the ability to overcome through the blood of His sacrifice, even as the martyrs spoken of during that tribulation period in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives even unto the death. And the Lord will give us overcoming ability by faith in Him. And we are to take heart in knowing that these things that are going on in our life, 
have been affected by the Lord to help us be more formed into the very image of Jesus Christ. This affliction that we face. And I want to tell you that I talk to people all the time as you do, and sometimes they get the idea that nobody knows and cares. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Can I tell you something? That's what the devil wants you to think. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10-12, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Right? So what does that mean? That your problem, your trial or tribulation, is a common one. That there are other people going through it too. It may be a little different color or different flavor. It might have a different name, different circumstance. But fundamentally, the issue is the same. They're going through it too. And so the God that helps that person through it wants to help you through it too. And so, listen to the rest of that. There are no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Verse 13. Right? But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is going to see you all the way through it. He'll give you everything you need to get through the afflictions that you're facing. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. That the Bible calls our affliction in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our light affliction. And the Bible there says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And what God is doing is, He is through these difficulty making heaven seem more glorious. And it will be, my friend, through the affliction. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to last for a while because the Bible says here, after that ye have suffered a while. You know what that means? It's not forever. It's just for a little while. And if you're going to live for Jesus, you'll suffer for a little while. Because not everybody appreciates you for living for Jesus. How many of you know that? It'll just be a while. You know, you're looking at a guy that's given birth eight times. Oh, not to kids, or I'd be a millionaire by now, but to eight kidney stones, all right? How many of you have ever passed one? Brother Bill, I know you have. Kelly, you have. And, uh, and look, and you've passed one too. How many of you that have passed one would like to pass some more? No, nobody does, right? Listen, that's the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. But I'm going to tell you something. My favorite verse through that whole time was this, and it came to pass. I was thankful that it came to pass and not to stay. Amen? But let me tell you something. When that stone was moving out of my system, it created the most pain. How many of you know that? It created the most pain. And you know what? When it finally came to pass, it was glorious. You know what? From here to heaven, we're going to have some pain. We're going to have some affliction. But God says it's just for a little while. This life compared to eternity is just a little while. And all the pain that we endure will make heaven even more glorious. And the chief shepherd is saying to his lambs, it'll just be a little while and we'll be home. It'll just be a little bit and the pain and the suffering will be over. But until then, Make sure that you're robed with humility.
that you treat people like Jesus. Give me your anxieties because you're not made to bear them alone. Understand who the real enemy is and know that by my side, you'll find safety. And in the midst of your afflictions, know that these are working to make you more like me. And so we end with His assurance. And the Bible says in verse 10, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In the midst of affliction, He wants you to know that He's the God of all grace. He'll give you everything that you don't have that you need to see you all the way through, all the way home. And understand that the shepherd is watching over us and will shortly become for us. When Linda and I got married, we, we bought a home in Mira Loma, California. Mira Loma is right next to Norco, which is a, a town where that there are a lot of horse farms and ranches, and, and right around us were a lot of dairies and, and ranches. And uh, the subdivision that, that we moved into was built near some ranch land and some farmland. And where you turned off of Interstate 15 to go to, to our home, there was a hundred acre plot that was farmed and they, they would plant alfalfa in that field. And uh, that, that would be used by the local ranchers and dairies uh, to, to feed their animals. And, and one night I was coming home and the sun was setting low and darkness was falling. And I, I turned off the interstate and there was no traffic at that moment. It was kind of dark. And I looked out into that alfalfa field in the middle of the field, there was a little camper. And I was fascinated by what I was seeing, so I pulled off the road and got out of the car. And there was a fire, campfire burning in the middle of the alfalfa field. And I noticed, and there was about 200 sheep laying in the alfalfa all the way around that shepherd. And I walked about 100 feet into the field and that shepherd was sitting in a chair by that fire and playing a guitar and singing to those sheep. And I thought, you know what, I, I feel like maybe this is what it would have been like when David was tending to his flocks. And you know, those sheep were bedded down in that alfalfa and I just thought, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the midst of the cares of life, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And He leadeth me beside the still waters. Those sheep were comforted because they heard the voice of the shepherd. They knew with the light of the fire and the presence of the shepherd, no harm would come to them. And my friends, I want to tell you, the chief shepherd says, I want you to bed down in these green pastures. I want you to listen to my voice and know that when you stay close by the side 
of the shepherd. I've got whatever it is that you have need of. Sheep are vulnerable. And apart from God, we're vulnerable to an awful lot. What we need to determine in our life is this. We're going to stay close to the shepherd, the chief shepherd. And we know soon he'll take us home. You think about it. Heavenly Father, we're grateful today for the comfort that we have in knowing that you are watching over us in uncertain times. Lord, help us to stay ever close to the chief shepherd. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Today, there are those that are anxious with care because they're uncertain about many things. And many are uncertain because they do not know that if they died today, that they would go to heaven. But I would tell you this, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, he's laid down his life so that you could spend forever with him. Today, if you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just would like to have the joy of praying for you. And if that's you today, while no one is looking except me, what if you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain my sins are forgiven and that heaven is my home. I'm concerned. Pray for me. Here's my hand. Is there one at all? Then maybe there's some that would say, Pastor Mark, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. Pray for me that I would stay close to the shepherd. I don't want to stray away from him because I know I'm vulnerable there. Pray for me. Here's my hand. God bless you and you. Many hands, many, many hands. Lord God, we are so thankful for the sweet people gathered here. Tender hearts. Lord, I pray that we might yearn to fall into the arms of the great shepherd knowing that He will gently and lovingly carry His lambs in His arms. Lord, may we stay ever so close from here to glory. And Lord, I pray that You would bless Your church. Thank You, Lord, for the good things that You affected in people's lives and in the life of this church today. And by faith we believe the days to come until you call us home. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we pray all of these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I came to church today. Um, you know, listen, this is the truth we need in uncertain times. Hold fast to the Good Shepherd. Stay by His side. He'll never fail you. When you feel vulnerable, He'll be there watching over you, providing you with the grace that you need. Never forget that. And long after the service is over, the broadcast is ended, hold on to the truth and let's live it. Amen.